0: God is near. When He came, when He was on this planet, He said the kingdom of God is here. And when Jesus came to live in us as believers, He placed the kingdom within us. So wherever we go, we take the kingdom of God with us. It comes near. And most of the time, people don't know the kingdom of God is near. What we're trying to do is learn to break out of that religious shell, where the kingdom of God literally comes near, Where wherever we go, we take the kingdom of God with us, and the possibility of God doing what God wants to do is present. It, it, it would revolutionize, folks, the body of Christ if that took place. And, and the first couple of weeks we talked about how God's given us authority over the darkness, and, and we talked a little bit about that. And last week we introduced uh, uh, a subject... Uh, just calling it power over sickness and disease and and I I warned you last week I'm I created more questions than I can answer and I'm going to create more today than I can answer okay so I'm okay with that now if you if you've got to have a pastor who knows everything uh that wouldn't be me all right so I'll just admit right now there's a lot in this book I don't understand but I'm sort of like Mark Twain. It's not the parts that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand, okay? So I'm, I'm, I'm learning. And God's teaching me. And, and as we, we'll move past this subject in a few weeks. But when we do, I'll still have questions, okay? And so I'm not going to answer all your questions. But I'm going to do my best to show you what Scripture teaches. And you make your decisions about it, okay? You make your decisions about it. Last week we talked about the fact that uh, the origin of sickness is not God. The origin of sickness is in sin, and the originator of sin in the spiritual realm was Satan. And he brought that into the physical realm through the partnership that he made with Adam. And so sickness, death, disease, illness, all of those things have their roots in that first sin. Now that doesn't mean if you're sick this morning, it's because you have necessarily sinned. I'm not saying that, okay? So don't, don't get on that horse and ride that off into a bad place. That's not what I'm teaching. What we are doing is we're looking at what the Bible teaches. And I believe that, that when Jesus came, Jesus demonstrated what we as believers how we should act, and what we should do. Amen? He is our example. Amen? Okay, I don't really want to go back and preach that sermon. Do y'all believe that or not? He, Jesus is our example. He gave us a pattern to follow. Alright? Jesus healed sick folks. Amen? Now, He didn't heal everybody that was sick. Alright? But every person who came to Him and asked Him to heal them he healed them. You just read your Bible, and if you can find one that asked Jesus to heal them and he didn't do it, you let me know. All right, but I can show you some that he didn't heal that he walked by every day. all right? That's for another sermon, all right. But Jesus healed everybody who came to him. And so uh, the early church, in their theology and in their practice, they believed that divine healing. It came out of their belief that all sickness and all disease came from the devil. Okay, that's what they believed and that's how they lived. Sickness and disease, as I mentioned, has their origin in the first sin of Adam and Eve. God, listen to me, God did not create sickness. He did not create disease. He did not create illness. He, did, he does not send illness or disease or crippleness or any of those things on His children to make us better Christians. All right? I grew up being taught that, that sometimes sickness comes on you so that God can teach you something. God doesn't do that. How many of you as parents would, would cause your child to be crippled or sick or uh, or diseased to teach them something? I don't see a hand in here. Okay? God doesn't do that. But what has happened is that belief there is kind of rooted in a, in a false system of belief that says that, that as Christians we can become holier and we can mortify. That's an old word that most of us don't, we don't use, but mortify means to kill. Okay? We can kill the flesh if we suffer. Now, how many of you have kind of heard that? The more you suffer, the holier you get. Okay, we, we most of us have heard that. Look, that didn't come out of the Bible. That came out of a of a system uh, in the Middle Ages uh, of penance and things like that. And and basically, what it says is, it, 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 let me just let me just put it in simple terms: If I could become holier through my sufferings, then Jesus died on the cross for nothing. Okay? I can't become... You can't become holier based on what you do. It's based on what Jesus did. But we've taken that belief in and we've created this idea that that sometimes physical suffering is just the cross I'm supposed to bear many of you have heard somebody say that? I have. Okay? If you hadn't, you hadn't visited enough sick people. You hadn't been to the hospital enough. Okay? This is, Pastor, this is just the cross I've got to bear. No, Jesus didn't bear a cross. Uh, what Jesus bore in His body was not sickness. It was inflicted pain. It was a beating. It was nails driven through His hand. It, it was being nailed to a cross, a pierced a spear piercing his side, a crown of thorns. That's what he bore. And he bore that, folks, so that he could heal us spiritually, our spirit, so he could heal us emotionally, our soul, and so that we could be healed physically, our body. Our suffering has nothing to do with holiness. Okay? Now, God can teach us something, As we go through sickness, you can learn something, but God never sends it to be the teacher. Does that make sense? Okay. Sickness is the result of original sin. It's here now because Adam and Eve opened the box and let it out. And it's gotten worse and worse and worse and worse to where we are. Amen? Okay, y'all are on the same place with me. All right. Now. The sufferings of Christ were comprehensive. And I've already said this, but I'm going to say it again because I want to drive this home. They were comprehensive. When He died on the cross, He died for our spirit and our soul and our body. He died to bring salvation from sin from all three of those things. Now, in the place we're at right now, every one of us who are believers, every one of us, the penalty of sin is no longer existent. Amen? There is no longer any penalty for sin. That's what Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says. There is therefore no condemnation, no penalty for sin. That's a jump up and down, let's shout for glory thing. Jesus took the penalty out of sin. It's like pulling the stinger out of a yellow jacket. Okay? That's what Jesus did. He said it's a lot bigger than that. Now, so the, the penalty's non-existent. Now, here's another truth that, that sometimes we don't realize. Sin's power can now be defeated. How many of you realize that you don't have to sin? It's not something that just comes on you and you've got to do it now. You can make a choice. See, the power of, of sin, it, 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 you can escape it. It can be defeated, and one of these days when Jesus returns, He's going to take us away from the very presence of it. He's going to separate us from it, and sin will be no more. Okay, now we can experience right now the the penalty; it's gone, and we can overcome it. The power can be defeated, and one day Jesus is going to finish that by removing sin from us and removing us from sin. Amen. That ought to make you. That ought to thrill you. Now we've been talking about the gospel of the kingdom and how the gospel of the kingdom and one of the reasons we're we're talking about our our power over darkness and over over disease and sickness is is because we have grown up on a on a gospel that has been proclaimed but it's not been demonstrated okay and i've spent 2 or 3 weeks on this so i'm not going to go back and preach this but jesus Proclaimed it and demonstrated it. The apostles proclaimed it and demonstrated it. The early church proclaimed it and demonstrated it. And folks, if we will proclaim it and we will demonstrate it, people will come to know Jesus Christ. Okay? It's, It's a gospel that must be proclaimed, but it's also a gospel that must be demonstrated. There's a big difference and, and I just think, I think we have to understand that. I think we have to realize that, that with Jesus, death couldn't hold him. D- disease couldn't touch him. Demons didn't have any power over him. The victory that Jesus paid was not just, it wasn't a partial thing. It just did not secure our salvation, folks. It did a lot more. It brought healing so that, so that when we could be healed of, of, of emotional issues and, and memories and, and wounds and hurts, and it brought healing so we could be healed from our body. Now, does everybody get healed? No. And you're going, well, Pastor, I know people that are sick right now and they love Jesus. I do too, and I don't have the answer for that, okay? So that's one of those questions. But folks, I know this, that if we will begin to believe that God is a healing God, and we will begin to believe what the early church believed. And we'll begin to, to proclaim that and then have faith to demonstrate that. You know what God will do? God will heal people. He'll bring, he will bring wholeness to people's lives. It may be emotionally. It may be physically. It may be both. It will be spiritually, I guarantee you that. A crowd will gather when the healing power of God comes. And when I talk about healing, folks, listen to me. I'm not just talking about spiritually as some pastors would. And I'm not just talking about physical, as some pastors would. When I say healing, I'm talking body, soul, and spirit. I'm talking the whole shebang, as my daddy used to say. The whole deal. Everything. That's what I'm talking about. I feel like I'm having to explain a lot. But it's okay. If we don't get through today, guess what? We'll pick up the next time. Now, Jesus deputized... He Authorized us to extend the kingdom, the boundaries of the kingdom. We don't build the kingdom, we just take the kingdom out there. Jesus builds the kingdom. But guess who He's chosen to build it through? Us. We carry it within us, folks. When we take a step outside these doors, we've taken the kingdom out there. When we go home, we've taken the kingdom there. Our job is to extend the boundaries. By proclamation, demonstration. And I'm going to say it one more time. The salvation that Jesus died for, folks, is spiritual, emotional, it's physical, it's in every other area. His death on the cross was complete. Okay? Nothing was left lacking. There's nothing else God has to do. It's done. It's finished. So today I want to kind of go back. I've been kind of covering some ground that I covered. I want to go back to a couple of verses that we used last week. And I want to build a foundation and show you from the Old Testament that God is not just a God who does acts of healing. He's a healing God. Now, don't you think about that a minute. He's a healing God, not just a God who does acts of healing. There's a big difference, okay? What I want to show you from Scripture is healing is literally a part of who God is. And I'm going to show you some passages and we're going to look at that. But I think it's crucial for us to understand that because what happens is if we we build a proper atmosphere of faith and a proper atmosphere of belief that invites God to be all that God is, God will come. And He'll bring everything that we need as a body to be able to to proclaim the Gospel and demonstrate the Gospel. Folks, God's looking for an atmosphere of expectation and anticipation. I don't know what you come for on Sunday mornings, but I come expecting God to show up. Okay, I come expecting to experience Him. Not just to hear about Him, but to experience Him. Can I just tell you, nine times out of ten, Nine out of ten Sunday mornings I get here, the last thing I want to do is preach. Alright? I just I'm just being honest with you. Y'all y'all know me. I'll I'll tell you the truth. It's the last thing I want to do because I got a hundred other things that gotta get done before I get to preach. Alright? I don't mind them, it's just a part of it. But every Sunday morning, it always happens. I'll have ten minutes or so over here in the in the stairwell that goes up to the stage, and I'll sit down, and I'll get quiet, and I'll listen to Jim and the worship team as they're working on on what they're going to play. And man, they'll begin to sing, and God just he just shows up, folks, every time. And I, I come in here, I'm ready to worship. I expect God to show up because I know He already has showed up, so I come with an expectation, I come with an anticipation, and if if we all come with an expectation an anticipation, you know what? God won't disappoint. That's what God's looking for in His people. He's not looking for us to come and fill seats. He's coming looking for His children who are hungry for Him. When I was a kid, my dad worked in the mines. And he got off every day at 2.15. At 2.30, he was pulling in the driveway. And my brother and I were at the window with our nose pressed against it. We were waiting for Daddy to get home. We were expecting it. Because when he got home, we played pitch, we threw balls, we did all kinds of stuff. We had a ripping, roaring good time for an hour or so. Folks, that's what God's looking for in a church. For some people who are excited, who are anticipating him, who 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 want him to come, and folks, when that, when that happens, his kingdom will come, and his will will be done. Heaven will kiss earth. Okay, I'm gonna get on what I, I where I want to go this morning. I'm gonna make a statement here, and if you don't hear anything else this morning, I want you to hear this. There is no sickness, no disease, no illness, no infirmity, no deformity, no handicaps, and no death in heaven. Well, there's one person. Okay? None of that stuff exists in heaven. Do you believe that? Okay? Here's what Scripture teaches. Now, I know this passage of Scripture points to a day when that will be here. But right now, none of that stuff is present with God. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 3 and 4, it says, John says, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and He shall dwell among them, and and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be among them, and He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no longer any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Listen to me. If it's not in heaven now with God, God didn't send it to this earth. Okay, I'm going to say it again. If it's not present in heaven now, God did not send it to this earth, okay? So I'm still trying to convince you that God is not the source of sickness. I'm fixing to move from there, okay? If I haven't convinced you in the last couple of weeks, nothing I can do. God is not the source of sickness. Now, that's it for that. I'm not going to say I'm, well, I might, but I'm, I'm going to try not to. Okay, we've got to erase that from our mind. Otherwise, we can't prepare a spiritual atmosphere for God to work in. Okay? There has to be faith. There has to be belief. There has to be uh, uh, some soil there that's fertile for that to happen. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, And without faith it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God... Must believe he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Luke, excuse me, Matthew chapter 17. Jesus said this to his disciples. When we looked at this passage a few weeks ago, the context is when, the, when they came down off, off the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, Peter, James, and John, and Jesus. And, and they get to the bottom of the hill and there's a big crowd. and A, a, young, a man has a son who's, who has a, a, a child that, that a demon is demonizing. And, 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 and the disciples that were there couldn't get rid of it. Listen to what Jesus said. Because of the littleness of your faith. That's why it won't leave. Because of the littleness of your faith. Now listen to what Jesus says. For truly I say to you, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, now, mustard seed is the smallest seed there is. So the littleness of the disciples' faith must have been pretty small. Okay? That's the point Jesus is making. The littleness of your faith. He says, But if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, Move from here, and it shall move, and nothing will be impossible for you. I love what the angel tells Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 37. For nothing. No thing shall be impossible to God. Folks, we worship a God who does not have impossible in His vocabulary. Okay, And if He doesn't have it in His vocabulary, we shouldn't have it in our vocabulary. Listen, the enemy is throwing things against our body, against our church, against me, against Jim, against all of you every day that says this is not possible, you must as well give up. This is impossible. This is impossible. I know I talk to some of you. I hear from you on a regular basis. Folks, that's because he wants you to believe that with God things are impossible. They're not. The angel said nothing is impossible with God. Now, I'm going to get to where I'm going. Healing is not something God simply does on an occasion. Okay? Healing is who God is. I want you to think about that for a minute. He's a healing God. It's not just an attribute. It's not something that God does every once in a while. Folks, it's a part of who He is. It's part of His essence, His makeup. That's that's the Word. It's what makes God who He is and, and what He does. Let me give you an example. How many of you realize that God is love? That's right out of First John. In fact, in that chapter, I think it happens two or three times. God is love. So we understand that everything God does, when it comes to love, or everything He does, is done out of love. That's what that means. It's a part of who He is. It 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 controls. It guides who He is. Amen. So God's love. We don't have any argument with that. Amen. The Bible teaches the same thing about healing. God he, he is not God is healer. It's God is healing. Healing is God. And I'm going to show you where I get that idea, okay? God always acts out of His nature. That's who and what He is. If He If He does otherwise, He ceases to be God. Now, with regard to healing, God identified Himself to Moses and to the children of Israel, and there were about 2.5 million of them, He identified Himself with a new name when they came out of Egypt. Over and over and over as you study the Old Testament, God does this on a fairly regular basis. He, he reveals Himself with a new name. If you read your Old Testament, you'll find new names of God coming up. He's Elohim in the old in Genesis chapter one and two. He he's the he's the plural God. He's he's one, yet he's more than one. He's he's three in one is what we would say. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But as you as you begin to read through the scriptures, he begins to re- reveal himself with other names. He's he's revealing who he is to his people. He's letting His people know more about Him, letting them see another part of Him. That's what I mean. Those of you that can remember dating, you know, there were certain parts of you, and I don't mean physically or anything like that, I mean emotionally and that kind of thing, that you didn't want that other person to know about. You wanted to gradually let them know who you are. Amen? Amen? And there are some things you really don't want anybody to know no matter what. Well, God's not like that, okay? God gradually let his people know who he was. When he meets Abraham on the mount, and Abraham is about to sacrifice his son, what does, what, what happens? God says no. And he says, Abraham, I am Jehovah, or Yahweh, that's literally the word, I am Yahweh Jirah. I am Jehovah Jirah. I am the God who provides. Now provision is something God does, but listen to me, and you know every one of you know this provision is who God is. He is a God who provides. He is God the provider. A provision is a part of his nature. He comes along a little later and, 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 and he, as he's as he's revealing himself, he he meets David and he, he reveals himself to David with another name. He's he's Jehovah Roy. The Lord is my shepherd. He is shepherd. He's the one who guides and and protects and and provides. And so what happens is is God is is what they would call in, in seminary, He is progressively revealing Himself to His people. Each time He reveals His name, that progressive revelation shows us a bigger picture of who God is. And in Exodus, God comes to Moses. They've just crossed out... Of, uh, of 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 Egypt, and they've just watched God destroy the Egyptian army, and and God he says to Moses, "For I am the Lord your healer." Remember that I am Jehovah Rapha, or Rapha. We read that, and it's found in in Exodus chapter fifteen, verse twenty six. I want to read that to you. And God said to the, to the children of Israel, He said, If you'll give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in His sight and give ear to His commandments and keep His statutes. In other words, He says it four different ways. If you will do what I say, if you'll do what I say, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. God used disease in the Old Testament to judge nations. That's that's what he did. It was a it was a form of judgment. He he pulled back his protection, and guess what happened? Disease poured in, famine poured in, war poured in. And so he says he says to Moses and he says to these these Israelites, I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the God of. Who heals? Literally, and I want you to—I want to just teach you a little bit about about some things in your Bible that'll help you as you study your Bible. In Hebrew, those two—that phrase, "I for I am the Lord your healer"—is two words. It's the word Yahweh, which is the word we get our word Jehovah from, and Rapha or Rophe, depending on how you pronounce Hebrew. Okay. And that means heals. I am the one who heals. That's literally what the word means. Now, that first word Yahweh comes from from God revealing Himself to Moses in a new way. When Moses was on the on Mount Sinai, on Mount Horeb, and 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 God was was talking with him, and he saw the burning bush. You know, he, he tells Moses, "I want you to go." And I want you to lead my people to freedom. Well, God, who are you? Who am I supposed to say you are? When they ask me who sent you, who am I supposed to say? And this is what he said in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent you. The word Yahweh means I am who I I am. Folks, that's the covenant name that God was, was revealing to Moses. It was the name under which the children of Israel would form a nation. It was, it was the name. I'm the, I'm the covenant keeping God. I am. Not I was or I will be, but I am. Present tense. Now, some of this right here may make you no difference, but I, I want you to understand this. Every time in your Bible, you see the word Lord. Capital L. Big capital L. Small capital O. Capital R. Capital D. That's the word Yahweh. And you say, well, why is it not written Jehovah or Yahweh? There's a good reason. Okay? It's called... It's got a big long word. It's called the Tetragrammaton. In other words, it's four letters long. In Hebrew, most of the words... I, I dare say all the words except that one are three consonants. Hebrew is a consonant language. It has no vowels, okay? It's the most confusing language I've ever even tried to learn, okay? It, it reads from right to left. And it will have three consonants. The little marks and things are are things that uh, Masoretic text in the the Middle Ages added so that they wouldn't lose their language, so they'd know how to pronounce words. Literally, it's consonants. And God's name has four. You may care less about this, but it's Yod, He, Wa, or Vav, and He. In other words, if we kind of translated that into English, it would be J-H-V-H. We get Jehovah from German translation of the Hebrew. That's where Jehovah comes from. It's not found in Scripture. So when the witnesses come to your house and they want to talk about Jehovah and they don't want to talk about any other God named that got a name of anything else, just point out to them that, hey, guess what? That name's not in your Bible. It came from German. It's a transliteration of the Hebrew. His name's Yahweh. But now the Hebrews had such a, a sense of God's holiness that they were afraid literally to say the name Yahweh. They were afraid if they said it, they may say something wrong and curse God and break the commandment, thou shalt not take the, the Lord thy God's name in vain. And vain doesn't mean what, what most of the time we think it is. It's to add that word after God's name. It just means to speak less of God than it really is. And so they were were terrified. So they wouldn't even say it. They wouldn't even write it. It was spoken one time during the year. And the high priest was the only one who could speak it. And he could only speak it in the temple confines. And he could only speak it on one day. And it was Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Instead, What they did is when they prayed and they came to this word that they knew was Yahweh, they would would substitute another word, Adonai, Lord. And so when they prayed, they would use the word Adonai. Does that make sense? Okay. Folks, Yahweh's name appears 6,828 times in Scripture. I am that I am. I'm going somewhere with this, okay? When God says, I am that I am, Rophe, I am that I am, healer. He's not saying, I am the God who heals you. He's saying, I am the God who is healing. I am healer. Does that that make sense? His essence, His being is healer. He heals. Wherever He's at, He brings healing with Him. He's the healer. If you want to obey, if you'll obey me, you'll see a new part of me. That's what he's saying to the children of Israel. If you want to see a new part of me, you'll obey me. And if you obey me, I will show the healing aspect of myself. Now, that's one of his names. There's another name. and. You know, when people teach on healing, they, they don't usually use this one, but I, but I think that it, it goes along with this, and I'm just trying to build a case that God's a healing God. So I, I've, I've chosen to use this one, okay? The other one is, is, that, that kind of reveals the healing nature of God is, is the word, is the name Yahweh Shalom. Jehovah Shalom. How many of you know what? Shalom. You go to Israel, You're met. The greeting is shalom. You leave a Jewish person, shalom. Shalom. And and we translate our word, the word translated is peace. And that's wonderful. But the only problem with that is our idea of peace is the absence of what? Conflict or war. Right? So when you hear the word peace, you think, well, there's no conflict here. There's no war here. That's just a teeny tiny meaning of the word. Literally, for a Hebrew, for a Jew, the word means complete, whole. And it doesn't just mean whole emotionally or spiritually. It means whole physically. So when God says, I am Jehovah Shalom, folks, He's saying, I am whole and I can make you whole. I can make you complete. Whatever you're lacking in, whether it's, 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 it's physical or emotional or spiritual, I can complete that. I can bring you peace. you ever been sick and you just wanted a few minutes of peace? You just wanted things to... I'm tired of hurting. I mean, I've visited people that have said, you know what, I'm ready to die. Because I want peace. I'm ready. Folks, God is Jehovah Shalom. He is the God who makes us whole. Spiritually, emotionally, physically. Now, let me give you a New Testament verse that that will help you understand what I mean by Shalom. John is probably John speaks a very simple kind of Greek if you ever take Greek John's letters are what you translate first okay he just uses simple words and there's a verse in John John chapter or third John verse two there's no chapter one okay there's just third John two there's only a few verses there. But John gives us an illustration of what the Hebrew word peace means. If John had been writing in Hebrew, and I'll I'll, I'll explain this in a minute, I want to read the verse first. But this is what he says He says, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. Now, if John had been writing in his native tongue, which would have been Hebrew. He probably spoke Aramaic and Hebrew and Greek, and he probably spoke even a little Latin. But the native tongue, Hebrew, if he had been writing this in Hebrew, he would have said, Beloved, I pray that in everything you experience shalom. Just as your soul enjoys the shalom of Jesus Christ. See what I'm saying? It's that wholeness attitude. Folks, my point is, is that, that God reveals who He is through His names. And He's revealed that He is a healing God. That He wants to heal us. That, that healing is a part of His, His attributes and His characteristics and the essence. Just as He, everything He does is because He loves us. Folks, everything that He does is also the, so that He can bring healing in us. You know what? If I don't believe God loves me, I won't receive it. Okay? I'll draw away from it. I know plenty of Christians that think, you know, I know God's paid for my sins, but I can't really believe He loves me. The same is true about healing. If we don't believe that He is a God who heals, that it's the essence of who it is, guess what? We probably won't experience much of it. Folks, with the revelation... For the names of God, we see Him working in every aspect of sin that affects us. Sin kills us spiritually. It kills us emotionally. It kills us physically. But listen, when the manifest presence of God comes, sin has to flee. And that's what we want. We want God's presence to come in such a way in our lives that sin has got to go, whether it's spiritually or emotionally or even physically. Folks, obedience and humility bring God's presence. Jesus put it this way, If you love me, you'll do what I say. God put it this way over in, in Exodus fifteen twenty six: If you will give earnest heed to my, the voice of the Lord your God, do what is right in His sight, give ear to His commands, and keep all His statutes. In other words, if you love me, you'll do what I say. Last week we looked at a, a passage, and I'm just going to read it. But this is the God extended that promise to the, the Jews in Exodus chapter 23, verse 25 and 26. He said this, But you shall serve the Lord your God. You shall obey the Lord your God. That's what he's saying. If you do that, he'll bless you. He'll bless your bread and your water. And he says this, I will remove sickness from your midst. There shall be no one who miscarries or is barren among you. I will fulfill the number of your days. You will live the number of days which I have allotted you. That's what that passage means in Hebrew. Folks, in essence, God is saying, if you will keep the covenant I made with you, I will keep my part of the covenant. Now, how many of you realize that the old covenant, the covenant of law, was an inferior covenant. I mean, that's what Scripture teaches. They couldn't keep the law. They couldn't do those things. They were not capable. And God knew that when He gave it. He had a plan to 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 put into effect a new covenant. And who put the new covenant into effect? Jesus Christ. And how did He do that? Through His death on the cross. Through the shedding of His blood. So the old covenant was inferior, but the new covenant was superior it 's a better covenant it's a covenant of grace, and when Jesus came he he manifested literally the presence of God in the flesh he was God in flesh that 's what scripture teaches. Jesus brought healing Jesus did acts of healing he authorized his followers to do acts of healing all because G- because healing was a part of who God is. You see, Jesus came according to John chapter 1. He came to show us what the Father looked like. He come, he came to exegete or, or literally to, to unveil who God was, to turn God's heart inside out so that we could see it. And one of the things Jesus did quite often was heal. We're going to look at that in, in the weeks to come. Folks, he came to show us God in in, in living color. That's kind of the way I put it. I want to show you a passage of scripture and we're going to, we're going to finish. We're going to finish on time today. Amen. We're not going over time today. I hope. Five to, well, literally seven to eight hundred years before Jesus is born, Isaiah prophesies a passage of Scripture. In fact, the, most of the book of Isaiah is, is prophecy. And and a great deal of it talks about the Messiah who will come. And in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4 and 5, this verse is there. Now, I'm going to read it a little bit different than it's probably written. Yes, I am. Okay? Now explain why. Isaiah said, Surely... Our sickness, he himself bore, and our pain, he carried. Well, Nelson, my Bible says griefs, and my Bible says sorrows. It certainly does. And griefs, there is the only time this Hebrew word's translated grief in the Old Testament. For whatever reason, the translators decided to translate it. Okay. Usually, more often than not, it's translated sickness. And sickness means sickness. Okay. Griefs can mean what? My sadness, my, my happiness, my joy, my, my anger, my, a whole bunch of things. And grief can be a lot of things. It's an emotion. And in the King James, when they translated it, it may have meant that and a lot of other things. But the Hebrew means Sickness sickness surely our sickness and he himself bore and our sorrows our pain he carried yet we esteemed him stricken or smitten or literally struck down by god and afflicted but he was pierced through for our transgressions transgressions are knowing that something is sin and doing it anyway okay that's what a transgression is and he was crushed for our iniquities now iniquities is a little bit different than transgressions it's a little bit worse Transgressions are knowing it's sin, yet thinking that the rules don't apply to me or you, and not only doing it, but teaching other people to do it. That's what iniquity is. So so Jesus has been pierced for our transgressions and our iniquities. And the chastening for our well-being, the shalom, that's the word there, well-being, shalom, fell upon Him. And by His scourging, or some translations say by by His stripes, we are healed. Now, Isaiah, I'm going to come back and talk about this next week a little bit, or the week after next. I just want to make a point. Isaiah was prophesying about the Messiah. He's talking about the One who would come and bring healing. Now, we know from where we're at that the Messiah was who? Jesus. Now, Matthew takes this very verse... Okay? And he applies it. He pulls it out of the context where it's at, and he makes an application of it in the New Testament. I want you to listen to how it's translated in the same translation, which I'm using the New American Standard, but it's translated differently in the New Testament. Okay? Matthew chapter 8, verse 16 and 17. And when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demonized, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were ill in order that. What was spoken through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled. Now, he's fixing a quote from the Old Testament Hebrew. He himself took our infirmities, our sickness, and carried away our diseases. You see, my point... My point is, is that a part of Jesus' death on the cross was to bring us physical healing as well as spiritual healing as well as emotional healing. One of those is one-third of what salvation is. Now, does God heal everybody? Eventually, okay. That's an easy way out answer, but that's all I know to give you, okay? He, sometimes He does, sometimes He doesn't. But, but the provision has been made. My point is, spiritually, Which is most important, okay? We need to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But folks, He can also heal us emotionally. He can heal the wounds and the broken places that are within us, the scars that others have put there, those places that nobody knows about but color everything that we do. And folks, He can heal us physically. It's all there. That's what Matthew's saying, and Matthew applies it specifically. He's saying he himself. This passage talks about the uh, uh, literally in the Old Testament. It covers salvation. It covers a whole bunch of things that Jesus would do. And Matthew applies this verse specifically to say, you know what? He he brings healing of sickness, disease, infirmity. He heals those things. Jesus. Matthew is saying Jesus healed us. Jesus healed us. Folks, Jesus did heal us from the sickness of sin, but if we leave out the rest of it, we leave out two-thirds of what else He did. Okay? I understand. I understand the importance of salvation. Okay? I understand that. I'm not trying to teach you anything less from that or subtract anything from it. What I'm trying to get you to understand is there's more to it than we've been taught. All right, we've majored on one aspect when there's a bigger aspect. That may be the reason why we don't see God healing more people is we don't understand. We understand salvation. You share the gospel, the Holy Spirit works, boom, that person comes to Christ. They're saved. We understand that. But you know what? When Martin Luther nailed those uh, theses to the wall there in Wittenberg and the Reformation began, that the church didn't understand salvation by grace. We're 500 years on that side of that. We understand that. We'd lost salvation by grace. It was salvation by works. Folks, we've lost salvation through physical healing the same way, and we have yet to discover everything about it. We're in the process. Okay? Same's same is true about emotional healing. We're still in the process. Now, here's my point. Drawing it all together. God revealed Himself in the Old Testament as a healing God. That's a part of who He is. If we don't understand the Old Testament foundations, we won't see anything in the New Testament. They're not there unless there's foundation in the Old Testament. Everything we learn about Jesus has been taught for the most part in the Old Testament. The only thing that's not there is the body of Christ, the church. It was a mystery. Everything else, there's a foundation by looking at the Old Testament. If we understand the foundation and we understand the types and the pictures that are there, we'll understand God better. And folks, if we understand that, that God... Is a God who heals. But He's far more than that. He is a healing God. You know, things will change. It will change in the way we proclaim the Gospel and the way we demonstrate it. I'm going to just use a personal illustration here, and I'm, I'm through. Whenever someone asks me to pray for them, and they're physically sick or ill or, or whatever, I always whisper a prayer to God. How do I pray, God? I've whispered that prayer I don't know how many times over my life, especially as a pastor. Because I don't take it lightly. I don't always know the will of God. Alright? I don't. And if you do, I want to go with you. Okay? I want to go to the hospitals with you. But I don't always know it. There have been times in my ministry when God said, pray this. I've shared this story, I think, with you, but there was a lady in in one of the churches I served in. She was pregnant. I'm not going to tell the whole story, but basically God told me to pray that her womb would be stopped. She'd gone into early... uh, Give me a word that I can use here because I can't think of one. Labor, that's it. She was having contractions, and, and the doctors were afraid she was going to give birth way too soon. And so I think she was in the hospital. She was wired up to every kind of machine that beeps and buzzes, and she's really in a really uncomfortable-looking position. And the last thing I wanted to do was touch her. All right? God guy says, I want you to lay hands on her, and I want you to pray this. So I argued with God all the way from the parking deck, all the way to her room. The whole time I'm talking with her and her husband, I just argued with God. Finally, I got that place where God says, Hey, are you going to do it or not? Well, I've learned that if I, if I say no, guess what He'll do? He'll bring somebody else to do it. I mean, you know, he, He's got others waiting in line to have opportunities like that, okay? I said, Okay, God, I'll do it. So her husband was a doctor, okay? I said, You know, I really believe the Lord wants me to pray for you, and I told Him what He He wanted me to pray, and I said, He wants me to lay hands on you, Okay? And I just really don't like touching other people, especially ladies, all right? It's just not, you understand what I'm saying? And I really don't want to touch pregnant ladies who are wired up to every kind of contraption you can be wired up. So I asked her to put her hands there, her husband put his hands there, and I just barely touched, no pressure whatsoever. Prayed what God told me to do, hit the door. Didn't wait to say amen, just got the heck out of there, okay? I saw him at church 3 or 4 weeks later and actually it was 3 or 4 months later. He said, "You're not going to believe this." She had that baby on the exact day that God, I mean the doctor said she would. Now, I had a little hallelujah come apart, okay? He had nothing to do with me. Y'all understand that? That was God. He was looking for someone to speak what he said to speak, okay? But there've been other times when I've visited people. I went to visit somebody that I dearly loved. was literally at death's doorway. And I asked her kids, What do you want me to what do you want me to how do you want me to pray? And you know what they asked me to do. And I just I remember asking God and I remember God saying, No, I'm I'm about to bring my, my my precious one home. And so I knelt down beside her bed and I just prayed a verse of scripture from John chapter 14. Jesus said Uh, oh gosh it's my favorite verse give me a second you believe in God believe in me also for in my house are many mansions if it were not so I would have told you and I go to prepare a place for you and if I go I will come again to receive to myself that there you may be also I didn't pray out loud I prayed I got up they were pleased and happy but I, I, I was true to what God told me to pray God healed her Okay, maybe not the way they wanted, or even I wanted, but God healed her. And so I've learned to ask God how to pray. Now, here's where I'm going: when I don't hear something specific, I pray for healing. Okay? If God doesn't say this way or that way, I pray for healing. If God says I want you to pray this, I pray that specifically. Do you understand what I, I have an expectation? No, that's not right. I have an expectation that God will answer that prayer because I believe God heals. I believe that's who He is. And if we'll start to pray with that anticipation and that expectation, guess what God will do? He will heal. But we will see people healed. We have seen some people in this church healed. I could give you names. I could point them out. God worked. Did God use medicine? Sometimes He did. Sometimes He used medicine and prayers. I know a little boy right now who has no scars from a, from a burn that he received on his body. I know a lady who had cancer right now that doesn't have cancer anymore. I know some other things. These, these are just prayers that we prayed as a body. We didn't flung them or fling them up there with, Lord, if it's Your will. We prayed as though it was the will of God. Okay? That's my point. Now, we're going to look at some more passages over the next few weeks. We're going to look at this passage that I just talked about this morning. We're going to look at how Jesus healed. Jesus didn't heal the same way every time. Folks, there's no system. There's no, if you do this, this, and this, this will happen. I wish there was, but there's not. I wish you could, I could, you could tell me why this one is healed and this one's not. I'm not God. My, the, the problem is it's not my responsibility to heal. It's not your responsibility. It's God. So we leave Him with the responsibility and we come to His throne with children with our request. And you know what He does? He works. He works. Amen? Okay, we're going to pray and get out of here. Fair enough. We're going to have an invitation first. All right, here's the invitation. If you don't know Jesus this morning. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.